Hey everyone, and thank you for tuning in to today's Uncensored Radio Roundtable. As usual, we like to keep our opinions and the whole show uncensored, but the topic of today's show is quite heavy and could be potentially triggering for some people. We are talking about domestic violence, AVOs, and violence against women. So if you are sensitive towards these topics, turn off now. Otherwise, thank you for joining us. Welcome to a very special Uncensored Radio Real Talk Roundtable. We have our regular Uncensored Radio panel here and a very special guest. Today we are going to um, hit a topic that is very much in news this week and every week, it seems like. Um, this weekend, Australia lost its 14th woman to domestic violence this year. Um when the death of Mackenzie Anderson, who was just 21 here in Newcastle, Australia. Uh, we are here to talk about domestic violence, recognising signs, surviving and moving through life. So as I said, we do have our regular co-hosts, Brooke and Luke, with us tonight, today, whatever time of day you're watching. We do have our very, very esteemed colleague, Sandy, who's joining us as a rose today. We, we love it. And we have special guest Chelsea, who's agreed to come on and share um, share her story and her life experience. So, guys, just to start off with, I think everyone is is in shock that something like this is still happening. It's been in the media so much in the last couple of years. The rate of violence against women here in Australia is just seemingly climbing and climbing and climbing and every week we're adding another body to the tally another name to a long long list of of well, you know what's really victims. sad steve is that two years ago we did a show on domestic violence and it was when hannah clark had passed away and then also another woman karen had been stabbed and i actually did a an actual broadcast from near where that happened and i feel like you know it's just so prevalent like hannah's in the media right now that it's almost um eclipsed what's happened now in newcastle because it's just so prominent and that case now is getting its second run of through the media because it's all through the courts right now and i just think it's so normalized it's terrible like i don't even know if people are outraged anymore because they just see it all the time Exactly. It is something, as we, as Luke just said, um, the Hannah Clark inquest is happening at the moment. But the, the main motivation for this show was the, the article that we posted on Uncensored Radio about 21-year-old mother Mackenzie Anderson who was murdered. <laughs> there's, no, there's no polite way to put it. There's no sugarcoating um, to, put, to make this okay for public consumption. Um, she was stabbed more than 20 times by her ex-partner and died on the scene in her own house while her child was present and that is that is something that gives me goosebumps thinking about and the sad I, I thing is imagine. that same thing happened to hannah except with fire and the same thing happened to karen getting stabbed in front of her children like this kind of stuff is so twisted and crazy to i think anybody with the soul but it's just really becoming so common it's frightening like i thought everything should have been getting better and is it no i think one of the most frightening things um about the most recent 
um, murder due to domestic violence is the fact that this person who murdered this amazing human being in front of her child was on parole for domestic abuse and assault on the person that he murdered. And he did not do a lot of his time. And he was out and he was allowed to be out. And it is a huge fail. Uh, uh, everything. The child was failed. She was failed. The whole system is flawed because my thing is at the moment why there were one or two people, and it's tragic. When anyone loses their life, it is tragic. Um, but two people are in comas on one punch things and we create a new law. Let's protect people being punched. All right? 14 women die in less than six months and we're not doing anything about it. Why? Sandy, you've worked in the system with, with women who access services and what is your opinion on, on what we currently have in place? Hi, guys. Well, yeah, Sandy, the social worker here. Um, yeah, so I have worked in domestic violence and this issue is structural. This is a systems issue. This is something that we're seeing is so embedded in culture. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier, Luke, when you spoke about um, is this normalised? Like you asked that question, is this normalised? And I think that what we're finding in a lot of the literature um, and a lot of research that has been happening is it is so embedded in culture, it is so normalised. Um, and, and it's becoming something that is so interwoven into the fabric of society that it's so difficult because it's so complex and so interrelated. And it is the issues of domestic violence are intersectional by nature as well. We have to consider race. Race is important here as well. Um, in terms of women in Australia, First Nations women are 40 to 80 times more likely to experience domestic violence than non-First Nations women. So these are, these are just parts of culture and Australian society that I think we really need to question. And when we consider the law, and I can only speak from the Queensland context, for so long, domestic violence was actually a civil matter. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we went until the 80s with women being, um, you know, possessions of a husband. And, you know, we've had some laws that have just been ridiculously patriarchal geared towards the oppression of women and geared towards um, perpetuating uh, male privilege. Um, and I should say that's a really heteronormative, um, you know, perspective there. But I think this is something that's so deeply embedded in society and it's very hard to, to deconstruct and dismantle this overnight. So... That would be the long-winded take on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. we, we love your long-winded take, Sandy. That's what you're here for. But the thing, the thing that really struck home of what you said is it is so prevalent. Everyone, if you haven't experienced it yourself, you know someone that has, and that's that's what how I met Chelsea today um, through a common friend that um, Brooke and I both know. Um, Chelsea, do you want to? as much as you would like to, just tell the people okay. at home a little bit about your story. Um, I guess I'm a statistic of domestic violence from a young age via my stepfather. Um, so I feel like as I grew up in that environment, I didn't want that for me and my children when I decided to have children one day, but I became another statistic. And it just became normal 
like everyone, like you guys keep saying, it's just, it just becomes normal. You, you're, you're taught it. You're a people pleaser. You, I, I don't know. It, as much as you don't think it's going to happen to you, it ends up happening to you. Um, so, so I'm still. Keep... Sorry, keep going. <laughs> oh, my, even my psychologist is messed up about my story and what's happened to me. It is, it is so out there. It could be a movie and people, I don't know, they, they can't comprehend the stuff that I've been through. Um, and I, I feel like it did happen to me so I can be a voice for the people who can't speak about it. And I guess I take, I guess I feel privileged in a way that it did happen to me. I don't want to, I don't want to bend it and twist it into something 100% negative, even though it is, but there are, for me, there has been positives out of it by like talking about it today and getting more, more airtime for it and making people understand that this is not normal. It's not normal. And we need more mm. education for men. It shouldn't men, be expected or presented as normal. Right. It should not be. Right. It should not be someone's every day that, that it's just a given that you wake up yeah. in fear of of people that's people and people are supposed yeah. to love you and for the people that you that's love right. and their safety. Yeah. Um, we were talking just before we went on air that you know, like this was a huge news story a day ago, and all it took was the Oscars. For it to be knocked right down into the news brief, like three or four stories, just because a celebrity is not happy with what another celebrity said about them. I mean, like there has to come a point where lives lives matter. Like Scott Morrison refuses to be drawn on the matter for some unknown reason, when the statistics are showing that it is so prevalent and like so many Australians and I, I do apologize to the American viewers. Um, this is an Australian show because we are filming at night time and it's 4am in the U S so we don't really want to wake up our cast members, but it's something that you hear. It's more regular than not. Do you know what I mean? It's a sad, sad mm. state of affairs. And mm. as Chelsea was saying, if you grow up in that environment, you know that that's not what you want for yourself. But how how does that feel when you start to realise that that pattern's repeating itself, Chelsea? For me, yeah. I I blamed myself. I'm like, what have I done that's so wrong to, as a child, deal with this? And part of me, because I'm the oldest of six, as being the oldest, I felt like it was my duty to protect my mum. So that's how I got involved in it because while he was building my mum, I was like, hang on, I can't let this happen. That's my mum and it's my responsibility as a big sister to protect my mum and my siblings. And then I, I don't even know what happened by the time I grew up and had my first daughter. It, it sort of creeps up on you like you, you love this person um then they say sorry they do something wrong then they say sorry then they butter you up and then they buy you a gift and it creates this pattern and this cycle and you you'd end up don't know don't knowing how to get out of it well i think Sandy chelsea what you've highlighted there is is very much what uh these perpetrators do seek though they they seek out their victims and sadly 
like victims almost seek out the perps as well you know it's moth to a flame and those kind of circles that um whole reinforcement of it you know it's almost like love bombing and then devaluing you and then that yeah, discard and taking flags. you back in and it becomes then almost like an addiction where you're just so hooked yeah. into that situation and it's frightening to try and get out of it and then also yeah. you're being and coerced and that's yeah right. and i feel like not women who haven't grown up with domestic violence are also finding themselves in these relationships with men too so it's not just because I grew up with it and mm. it became normal to me. There's women who haven't grown up with it and still ended up in relationships like this. Mm. Yeah. I think that they do seek out a certain personality type, like, you know, where you're very, you, you're an empathic person. You want to try and help people and they will yeah. hook into that. And that's that real, you know, that, that crutch that they sort of lean on then. Like they know they've got you once you're on that hook. So, Sorry, Sandy. Sandy, was... <laughs> so, Sandy, can you give us a little bit of, mm. I guess, advice slash warning, like something to look at? I know that it is something yeah. that creep, it creeps up, and you don't you don't necessarily see it happening, but there are certain indicators of that personality type, right? Absolutely, and there's two concepts that come to mind uh, for me listening to Luke and Chelsea speak, and the first one is victim blaming. And Chelsea, you spoke about coming to a point where you felt responsible or what have you done wrong? Why has this situation, you know, culminated in your life? What, what have you done wrong? And this then brings me to my second, the second concept that comes up for me, which is coercive control, which Luke brought up coercion. And I think that that's something that really needs some airtime in terms of starting to see the warning signs. And coercive control is sort of best defined as a process or um, kind of like a strategy used by perpetrators to sort of erode at your autonomy and your agency um, so that when people ask that age-old question, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you go? It's because your resilience is so broken and battered down that it is very difficult to be empowered enough because you've been so disempowered to leave. So some of those early warning signs are certainly the, um, you know, con controlling behaviours, um, surveillance, you know, watching what you're doing, wanting access to your phone, um, isolating you from friends and family, um, you know, telling people stories about you that are, you know, obviously not true, um, but so that, you know, you're seen in a different light. Um, so that you really just have no support network, you have no resilience, not much resilience left to draw on, no fuel left in the tank. And this is something that is used, it's part of that coercive control, which thankfully is starting to get airtime and traction in Queensland in particular, um, to try and understand how this is done and what happens, what are those early warning signs and what other supports out there. So that would be how I would, see it and I've seen it many many times when working in domestic violence I've worked at a women's shelter and I've also um, provided domestic violence counseling in a previous role as well um, and some of the first signs and as you said Chelsea they just creep up on you and they they just are so insidious and you it, it's so easy not to see them they're often masters of their craft um, and I'm not trying to demonize, demonize perpetrators hurt people hurt people that's a thing um, but still there needs to be accountability and domestic violence is everybody's business. So this is something that creeps up, it starts happening and before you know it, 
you're in the depths and you're drowning and it's very difficult to get out. Yeah. I really like what you just said there about it being everyone's business because I think even Chelsea, you would know having, having lived through it, you can see these patterns in other people that they necessarily don't see. And you're like, oh, oh, do I say, is it my place to say something to, to you know, potentially blow up someone else's life and, or make them upset or make them think that I am some kind of person or some kind of way. But it really is the responsibility of the community as a whole to make sure that we are looking out for each other. I know that um, you just talked about coercive control a fair bit, Sandy, but in the w, in WA, they're actually now... Um, considering making new laws against coercive control, making it illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a step in the right direction, but how much longer does it take? I mean, we are, what, the third month of this year and there's already been 14 lives lost to domestic violence. It, it's, it's insidious. It's obviously a cultural thing that mm. is not going away no matter how many spotlights we shine on it and it's important that this conversation doesn't go away that you are constantly reminded of it and i know it's triggering and it's upsetting but what you say can save lives and i think that as as you said chelsea we were talking a little bit today your story by just by saying it has influenced a whole heap of people right yeah yeah definitely and i think Mackenzie's story that that's really triggered me because it I don't I don't want to take the spotlight away away from her um I'm currently going through the ex getting out on parole um he has breached his parole orders already he contacted my daughter within I don't know let's say eight hours of being let out on parole me and my daughter my eldest daughter did all the right things took screenshots, went down to the police, reported it. They can't do anything. Um, he's recently been seen in, in my area, which on his parole conditions, he's not allowed in my LGA, but he's been seen by two witnesses. We did the right thing. We went and reported it. He's been caught on CCTV footage in my area, reported it. The local police station to me, it's like they don't want anything to do with it unless something happens first like a threat and because he hasn't actually threatened he's only breached paperwork basically they won't do anything so i'm it's very easy to punch through paperwork right this is why it's structural this This, it's the law it's and who creates that law i wonder (laughs) who are they trying to protect yeah i i just want to share a story from actually someone that i went to school with um she shared out she reshared our story um because she is also a domestic a survivor um this was her post on her on her facebook page it's a personal page so i'm not blowing up her spot i'm not saying her name or anything like that um she i've approached her to make sure that she is okay with it she said tell everyone you can because she's lived through it her response to our post was the amount of times i called the police over avo breaches only to be told we need him to really do something to be able to do anything about it i remember once even saying like do i need to be set on fire for you to do anything when i'm telling you i don't feel safe and i'm scared because i know what he's capable of the system has failed repeatedly and still does i i just can't 
understand how it's okay for people or how how the establishment of law and order think it's okay for people to live in that kind of fear every day because i can't imagine and you know sometimes people are so trapped in it too look and not to take away from Mackenzie's story as well but i worked with a lady years ago and sadly i've known two women now that have been murdered from their ex-partners um, this lady was telling me how she had met somebody new and um, because her husband had left and had been with some other woman and he was on his own merry way. So she met this other guy and she went on a holiday with him to Ireland. She came home and she owned a couple of houses with her ex-husband. Um, so he was in one, she was in the other. Anyway, she came back home and he suddenly back home. And she told us this for the whole week. She kept saying that, oh, she's not... She didn't want to back down because she knew he was trying to intimidate her to leave, to sort of vacate the house for him. And and something really felt bad about it. And a, and a few of us had told her, look, you know what? It's a house. Just go. Like, who cares if he, he wins? Just let him win. Uh, he ended up killing her that weekend with a hammer in the street in front of people. So the lead up to that was ignored by the police as well because she'd reported that, you know, there was threats going on. He didn't just start out with a hammer. It had progressed to that point. I'd say their initial breakup was because of aggression and violence. So there was nothing there to protect her, though, or her property. And she felt that vulnerable that she thought that, well, this is her only home. This is where I live. And someone was trying to scare her out of there. Uh, she had nowhere to go, really. This is why we need coercive control laws across the country, because coercive control are all of these behaviours, everything that everyone has spoken about that preempts very, very serious um, domestic violence episodes. And these are the warning signs. This is the warning shots. Like this, this needs to be across the country. I think we just need to also um, just not not to call you guys out, but you don't you don't need to apologise for telling story telling your stories or telling stories that you know because the more voices that share their story, I think the stronger the message gets. So if you're at home watching this and you're concerned about you know oh, I don't want to take the spotlight off what's happened to Mackenzie, I don't I think that's the last thing she would want as well because she had been outspoken about you know. She was getting so out, getting out of getting out of that relationship and her friends helping her and all that kind of thing and sadly it just was not you know meant to, meant to be but I don't think that apologizing for sharing another yet another story and being another voice for these people that are gone is anything you should apologize for so um, if you are out there I encourage you to share your stories with everyone that will listen because that's the way that this stuff like this changes because i think the one of the hardest things that i've seen people go through is to get to that point of asking for help or realizing that it's an issue and going oh my god what what do i do from here so chelsea can i pose that question to you when you realize it was happening in your relationship and that it was a prevalent thing and that you know history was repeating itself how hard was it to admit that and then to ask for help as well? Um, I still to this day struggle and 
that relationship ended in 2016 and it's you don't want to seem like a damsel in distress and you want to have this perfect relationship in front of all your friends and you try everything you can possibly do to make it seem like everything's okay and when things crumble you're the one who feels like the fool because you're the one who failed like it's this it's the blaming it's the blaming Mm. it's all it's all on you and that's what they do to you because it's yeah how can it be anyone else's fault it's your fault you know you've been often Um, at that point gaslit so much that it honestly becomes your narrative and yeah it's really hard to come out of that it's not easy Mm. and i just wanted to preface sorry chelsea what were you saying no um because then children are involved as well so that adds another element to it as well yeah yeah and sometimes pets and if um someone's a carer and there's someone vulnerable that they care for all of this is used in terms of that coercive control um as a mechanism of um controlling your behavior threatening you intimidating you stalking you um and these are things that are all used quite a lot in terms of speaking out and sharing your story this is just something that from my experience in terms of um working alongside victim survivors um sometimes that can be quite dangerous too um and i just want to highlight that um as much as you know certainly encouraged to i think share your story um consciousness raise on this this issue i think that if it's safe to do so um yeah. there are safety is the biggest part we were, i was about to talk yeah, about that as well absolutely. so glad you brought it yeah. up yeah <laughs> just just thinking just about that and i have seen um in, in the places that i have worked um where that can go terribly wrong um where someone has you know disclosed to a close friend and said hey this is what i'm going through and that close friend is trustworthy as they are, they're concerned about it. So they've reached out to another friend and this has gotten back to the perpetrator and the perpetrator has become quite fearful then that he's lost control um, and this is threatening um, his position. So it can be sometimes really quite dangerous as well. Um, Just been my observation, but certainly where you can and with someone trusted who you know that can help get you out, absolutely help seek, help seek. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about, um, you know, a, a leaving plan very, very soon. Brooke, I've noticed that you've you've been a little bit, you know, ref- reflective and stuff. So, um, do you, how I don't know how much you want to share about your experience, but if you uh, would like to, it's up to you. <laughs> look, I grew up in a very domestically violent household. It was very alcohol fueled. I've I've always been very open on the show about that, like. I um I think that everyone should be open about their things and um you know uh, there were times where like our mum and dad beat the absolute snot out of us just to be you know brutal and honest um there were I remember going um like my mum taking my dad to court for domestic violence and all of this stuff happened in my household and then I was in a fairly regular marriage and then that um ended friendly ended really friendly and then um i was actually and i'm gonna put it in the only way i really know how to put it and i was kind of um chosen by an abuser um who i was very lucky i got out before things turned violent i've got to be honest with you 
Um, but there was a lot of um, gaslighting and there was a lot of, he isolated me from everyone I knew. And I was warned against him, but I, like I had a dear friend warn me and tell me that he was no good and that like I really should steer clear, but I knew better. I knew better and, you know, it we was. We never listen, do we? No, we don't. And, um, you know, it got to the point where it was kind of, uh, I mean, one of the last times I saw him while I was on my own, I'm not, I'm not very tall, guys. I'm only like, you can ask Steve, I'm like five foot one, maybe if I'm lucky. And uh, this guy was like six, four and built like a brick proverbial. And like to have someone like that stand over the top of you, like they were going to hit you was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. You know, like it's it's not fun and it'll it's something that'll haunt me forever. No, it's everyone's story's different. And I'm glad that I was able to get out before it turned as bad as what it can get for some people. And but it's yeah, it's not a good situation to be in. It's But Brooke, it, you would agree too, like, you know, when you hear other people this I, I wanna say for people that are aware that someone else is going through something like this to not yeah. be too forceful with them either because they are gaslit. They are yeah, stuck. I, yeah. And I, and I know it can be frustrating when you just want to like shake someone and say like, wake the <laughs> up and get out. But that's not what they need to hear. They need to know that you're going to be there when this dust settles and when they're ready to get out because exactly. – so what yeah. I want to talk about very quickly um, while we have Sandy, because Sandy has to leave us very, very soon. Um, what are the steps that we can take, Sandy, that if you're in this situation now and you're watching us, what are the, what kind of steps can we take to, you know, make a safe plan and get away safely? Yeah, yeah. So the first thing I would say, if safe to do so, find your trusted person. Have someone who is regularly updated about what it is that you're experiencing someone who brings no judgment very much what luke said before someone who is patient who is understanding and can kind of walk alongside you without pressuring you find that trusted person if it's safe to do so um the next thing that i would say would be to have a kind of plan in your mind like if you're at that at that stage where you're contemplative about okay i, I really think i need to go have a plan in place, um, whether that includes notifying police if you've got kids, how you would handle that situation. Um, you know, legal aid services in your state or territory in Australia are able to assist. They usually have domestic violence services. Um, so that would be, I guess, a safety plan. What time of night, what time of day when um, the perpetrator is away? Um, you know, is there a safe place to go? Uh, find the contact for your local domestic violence shelter. If you've got a GP that you regularly see, let them know um, and try to start setting up a bit of a, a safety plan. Sometimes it may not be a safety plan to actually fully leave, but sometimes it could be a safety plan just to get away to have a reprieve, even just that. Um, the other thing I would definitely be doing is regularly speaking to, in Queensland, we call them DB Connect, um, and they're a domestic violence um, service, hotline service that you can call um, and just let them know what you're going through. So someone knows what is happening for you um, so that 
there is somewhere that you can call when things are really difficult and you're feeling alone. They are really wonderful. They're excellent listeners. They know this area like the back of their hand, like they, this is their bread and butter. So don't be afraid to reach out. Um, but definitely trusted person, have a plan in place. Um, be sure to, I know we've heard the failings of police, but if you feel safe and comfortable and that you can speak to a local police officer, sometimes it's about connecting with a police officer who you feel you have a, can establish a good rapport with someone who hasn't got those judgments, someone who genuinely wants to help. So those would be the main key things that um, I would recommend. So I want to talk to you guys, all three of you here are parents. Um, how do we have this conversation? With our with, children. With, with children. Because it is so, if, they, if they grow up in it and they see it, yeah. it becomes normality for them, right? It becomes what they expect. How do we have this conversation and... We'll start with you, Chelsea, because you're, you know, you've lived through it and you, you have had to experience it. Have you had that yeah. conversation? Yeah. Um, I'm 100% honest with all three of my daughters. Um, they have seen their dad do things that they shouldn't have seen their dad do. And then I've had to use it as a learning experience as well. Um, my eldest daughter obviously has seen the most, um, she definitely has dad issues, definitely anxiety, traumatised. Um, the big sister thing that I spoke about before, being the big sister, she feels like she has to protect me and protect her little sisters as well, which is, it upsets me because I, I feel like I shouldn't have put that responsibility on her. Um, I've, I allowed her to read all the court documents, even though she probably wasn't at an age, she was 12. Um, when we did the whole going to court, family law court, going through criminal, the criminal court as well. Um, but I wanted her to be informed. And I feel like I, I was gifted to be her mum. And even though she was 12 at the time, she's nearly 17 now, I think she is equipped now to recognise those red flags now because of her dad. Um, and I think she's very protective as well so these are uh, a, a good traits that she has now that have come out of this situation that I don't I don't want to say again that I put us in but I'm hoping that she never ends up in something like this like I, I hope my other two daughters don't end up in situations like this but um I think they're they're better for it now after experiencing it and going through it and I think you have to be honest with them and age appropriate too. So when their dad got sent to jail for sexually assaulting me, um, I was seeing my psychologist then and she even said to me, be honest with them, stop making excuses for their dad. Because I would say things to them like, oh, dad's working, you know, he, he's away, he's working. But I'm sort of giving, not giving him credit, but I'm making excuses for you're giving him. him an you're giving him an out. You're giving right? him an out that he doesn't yeah. deserve. Yeah. That's exactly right. So I was like, no, you know what? Sit down, girls. You've got each other to lean on as well. I need to talk to you about this. This is serious. Um, even my psychologist, even to the point of I feel bad for my kids because does he love them? Like, I want yeah. them to know that he loves them, but is that my place to say, hey, dad still loves you and misses you despite everything he's done. Like it, it makes me feel sick saying that too, but I don't want to 
be that mom that talks bad about their dad, even though he's bad, but they know that. It's so very awkward situation where you've, you've got to do what's best for you, but you've got to also do what's best Mm. for your children and their development and their growth and their understanding. Brooke, you have a very unique situation where you're not only raising your boys, but you've got a, you've got a blended family. So how I know that they're probably not really, at an age where they and they're not in an environment where this is you know everyday dinner table conversation but yeah. they see it on the news you know what I mean? they will they will experience it there at school they will run into kids that this is uh, sadly well, look, their lives well Jaden's currently going through this whole thing where his best friend's being bashed whenever he's not with him kind of thing so to bring it around to that like he's like oh it's my fault you know like it's there's different levels and I you know, I, I'm also very blessed in the fact that, you know, um, Jaden and Matthew are autistic. Um, so that's a completely different level of, like, um, comprehension to the to the whole situation, if that makes sense. So, like, it's not a conversation that I would really ever have to have with Matthew and I would hope never have to have with any of my kids. Like, we're not violent my my new husband and I we're very level we're very um we don't smack we don't you know it's not that kind of household for me um and I hope that none of them would ever have to be in this situation um and I would obviously cross that bridge when I if and when I had to come to it but you know it it's not a conversation it's, that it's, really tri- it's tricky and you hope that you don't have to have that conversation especially yeah. with your children being you know the the type of kids that they are and facing the challenges that they already yeah. have to throw that on top is something extra and luke you're the single father of a girl what what does this kind of thing what does this kind of thing make you think about for her future well look uh i've been candid on on this show a lot about uh, my situation because I had my daughter through surrogacy, but I was with a partner when we went through that whole process. And uh, thankfully uh, he had left on her, on the day of her first birthday. And that's something that was a blessing because that was a really abusive situation where, I knew that it was bad. It was actually to the point where I was embarrassed and hiding the fact that I was actually still even having an ongoing relationship with that person because sorry I know to, everyone, not, everyone has not had to enough. interrupt you too much. Sorry, but it is very important that we do note that domestic violence is not only a female, like a female victim crime. There are plenty of men out there, probably oh. a lot more than we we think and or know about that are victims of domestic violence as well. But I'm um, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you much, but I thought we hadn't mentioned that. So please continue. Uh, yeah, look, for me though, I, I've stayed single since exiting that because I had to do a lot of soul searching because I, I didn't blame myself, but I had to sort of see the the things that were in myself that allowed that and I was a people pleaser I was somebody that really wanted to help and save others so when I saw when I had my boundaries violated only subtly at first too it doesn't happen straight away like they're going to be completely crazy in in the initial part it's actually quite lovely because they really want to hook you in 
so when I got out of that, I sort of, I've stayed single because I'm like, okay, I need to be a really good male role model for my daughter to break that cycle so she doesn't ever. So when, if, if, if when she sees bad behaviour from males, she's like, well, that's not okay because I want her and my relationship to be really healthy. And I knew uh, there was a couple of days before he left where he said something. I mean, she was a baby. He said something that to the person listening in on eavesdropper would have sounded completely harmless, but it was actually like a thinly veiled threat, like if you don't do as I expect, like you'll be punished. And I was like, you know what? That's my final straw and that's that's where it's going to end. But it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was really quite painful to break out of that situation. And for probably nearly 12 months after, I still felt embroiled in it where I wanted to almost rekindle. But something, thank God, in me just said, no, don't go back into the ring. Like, that's it. It's done. And you were lucky that you could make that cleanish break. Oh, I'm lucky I had good support systems. I had Sandy. Like yeah, when exactly. she said someone will walk along beside you, she lived, literally, we would go for a walk every day because that's when I could sort of unravel and Sandy could advise me without being pushy and not be like, you can't be like this, you can't be. Like she was very gentle because she knew what was going on way exactly. back in the beginning. Yeah. So um, that's what I, w- I was going to lead into next. How what is What is the coping mechanism to keep you sane and healthy and safe? until you make that decision. Chelsea, you obviously are going through a whole different kettle of fish now, but how did how did you get through that point to where you decided it was time to go? How did you make yourself be okay? Mm. Was it you know the what? kids? Was I... it were you doing it for your children and going, I've got to just yeah. stay strong? Because that's honestly that's all I had because my mum turned on me. Um she actually supported him. Um, all my sisters did. Um, one of my younger sisters actually works at one of the jails and my other sister is actually a DV support liaison officer and neither of them helped me. I was just like, again, what have I done so wrong that you guys are turning your backs on me and my three children? So I'm estranged from everyone. Um the, I guess the Which is something he would have set daughter. out to do, Chelsea, though. He successfully right. did it because he needed but you, you know isolated. The, the kicker is the whole nine years of mine in his relationship, my family hated him. They were the family saying, you need to get rid of him. He's a pothead. Um, he's not good for you. He, he's not a terrible dad. Um, Christmases, my mum would separate us, so me and my eldest daughter would go with her. Then my middle daughter would go with him and his family because my mum couldn't stand him. Um, Their naming day, their after party was at my sister's. He wasn't welcome. And then within that year that I left, they wrote affidavits about me. Um, My solicitor emailed me and she's like, we've got a problem. And I, I knew. I just, something came over me and I knew it. And this is what my psychologist struggles with because I'm the older sister. I'm the people pleaser. I'm the protector. School was my safe place, so I was a, a grade A student. I've still kept all my awards. Um, I don't get where it went wrong. I left him. I did what they wanted me to do too. 
I did what I felt I needed to do. I kept us all safe and they turned on me. They even at um, his, not his, was it, it was either his sentencing or his conviction. I walked up those stairs on my own and they were standing with his family, my mom and my sisters, and they turned around and gave me a filthy look and I ran straight to the journalist and the victim services lady that was my um, support person for the day and I just bawled my eyes out. I was just like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? So it's been like next level after next level after next level. But and it just proves that, that power, doesn't it? That like if oh, he could it's... control you, he would control everyone around you. Yeah, and I don't know where this came from because they hated him. I just, I don't know. What it's, happened. I don't think it. I don't think it's for anyone to understand. It's just, it just as yeah. as Sandy said, it just proves the insidious nature of yes of the whole thing that you know yeah. you can go from focusing on one person and you, you do see it all the time once they lose control of that person it either ends up you know they're trying to poison everyone around them or it yep. ends up getting really dark and really violent mm -hmm. and really really scary to the point where stuff like what happened to Mackenzie happens and it should yeah. never get that way like no so you're you're currently dealing with a lot of legal stuff and I don't know how much you want to talk about, but those bits of paper aren't necessarily written, like worth what's written on the rather. They're, no. yeah, so, they're not protecting you. No. So initially when I made my statement about the sexual assault, um, they went and put an ABO on him straight away. He breached it 21 times. Nothing was done. After he breached that 21 times, because I've got all the event numbers, I keep everything, um, he then decided not to bring my younger two home from his visitation for the weekend. And I didn't see him for a month. The house I assumed he was staying at, he was no longer there. I had to get the AFP involved. Um, and this is when I proceeded with family court because I didn't know where my kids were. And um, there was no phone contact because every time I changed my phone number, and then he started acting nice. I would then give him my phone number again just for him to ruin it all, ring me, harass me, threaten me. Then I'd change it again and just work off email communication. So all I ha he had my babies. There was no court orders in place. That must be terrifying. Like, like, I, how, oh, like, yeah. how, and how do you go through my that mom, let alone everything else? Well, when that happened, my mum also kidnapped my eldest daughter. And I'm like, what is what is going on here? Like, and so that's another reason why my daughter suffers anxiety and is traumatized. Um, Cause she remembers all this. She was in year six when that happened and the other two were a bit younger. Um, I had my dog put on my AVO because he was, she was a little black chihuahua and he'd call her a little black C-U-N-T. He'd kick her. Chihuahuas are tiny. Um, just, he was just horrible. And now we, that, now that he's been released on parole, um, he got he got locked up for two point nine years. His parole doesn't end until the twelfth of October, and between now and then, I feel like I have to be one step ahead. He's already been seen here twice by two different people. Um, he's contacted my daughter. His teenage son has contacted my daughter. Everything I've documented, everything I can. I've even rung one eight hundred respect because the police failed me. I walk in there with all this information and documentation, 
the old AVO to show there's a history of this, they say to me, well, well, why don't you have another AVO? And I'm like, because you guys won't give me one. You won't give me one until he actually threatens me or actually does something to me or my children. Um, his parole condition, like I've got copies of his parole conditions. I take everything up there. It's all in a pile ready to go every time something happens. So I'm prepared and I feel like I shouldn't be like this. I've got email emails to my daughter's school principals. They know everything that's going on. Um, I've spoken to every year since, you know, my youngest has had kindy year one, year two, year three. I've had to talk to their teachers about this is my situation. No one is allowed to come and collect her unless it's me, unless you physically see me um, or my eldest daughter. Um, she's not allowed to leave class unless she's got a buddy with her. Our life shouldn't be like this. It's, it's honestly, it's ridiculous. Like, what's next? When When is he going to pop up again? And I'm always I'm hyper vigilant. I'm always tense. Um, I I did explain to my psychologist I feel paranoid, but she said no, that's not the correct it's term. Not you're not, yeah. you're not. That's right. That's right. Um, even cars. If I see he's got a Subaru, if I see a Subaru, I get like my throat feels yuck. I get sick. I feel nauseous. Um, it triggers my migraines. Like it's an yeah. ongoing effect and. I ended our relationship in 2016 and it's 2022. And then seeing stories like Mackenzie triggers me. It breaks but my is heart. That, and is that why you, Didn't is that why you, cry? no, it's okay. You, you've got, you've got, you're more than entitled to everyone is. Is that why you speak out though? Like you've got to be concerned that doing stuff like this, when you speak, you know, you're like, am I putting myself in a worse situation? But yeah, when yeah. you see something, when you see something like what happened to Mackenzie, is that why you I feel speak? like I'm next? I feel like I'm yeah. next. If he finds out where we are, yeah, you know, that, and that's why he's in my area. He's casing exactly. places to find us. Exactly, but is that why you're speaking and why you you, are, you do choose to you know no to speak out? Um, no, I I feel like I need to speak out because. Initially, when the sexual assault went to court, the detectives actually said to me, um, you know, you could start a revolution. This could be like a movement. Women go through this and don't report it. Use this as, you know, an empowerment um, and talk about it, you know. And I was like, you know what? Hell yeah, I'm going to do that. And to be like what Luke said before, to be a role model to my daughters as well. And I feel like it could cause a ripple effect. So if my daughters are aware of it and they see the signs, if it's happening to their girlfriends or their guy friends, even they can say something, they can stand up. They, they will have connections. They've, they've lived this life too, but um, I don't know. I just, I don't know why this still happens and I want to fix it. I, I feel like I need to help. Um, I don't know. It's just, for me, the police have been the biggest letdown, like besides my, my own family, but the police who I feel like are meant to be protecting us, they just constantly let us down. Like there was one time after one of the times he contacted my daughter, we went, me and my daughter went into the police station and the two male police officers, I said, what can I do to get an AVO out on him? When is this going to stop? Why do we have to put up with this? He's got parole conditions. There's family law court, which apparently trumps everything. The police officer, I, I cried, I broke down and I said, this is not, 
And these two male police officers said to me, life's not fair. So we left. Nothing oh. got done. So that's that's when I came home. I rung 1-800-RESPECT. I rung victim services. I got in contact with the secretary of the parole board. Um, I, and I felt like, why am I doing this? I shouldn't have to be doing all this when I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not even instigating any of this. Like he... I feel like he keeps doing it because he doesn't even get a slap on the wrist. And I feel like with Mackenzie, I feel like that was the same. She pleaded with these police. He was out on parole. And what happened? And it's so, like I'm getting goosebumps right now. And when I saw Mackenzie's story, I just broke. <laughs> and it's going to happen again. Like, when is it going to happen again? Who is it going to happen to? And it needs to stop. Which is why... This and this is why I wanted to do this show when when we did it because it can't wait another week. It can't wait another day. No. These conversations no. need to be had. So, um, it it is obviously a very emotional thing for for <laughs> everyone. It's it's a huge thing to you know to go through, especially alone, especially with children. But you do have to have, as Luke said, those people that you can rely on you pick those people and you go with your gut. I think that especially from what I've, I've heard from you, Chelsea, you've, you've built a kind of support system that is kind of trying to help you get to where you need to be, despite the failings of, you know, the law and the police. Yeah. And that's really important. Yeah, right? yeah. You've got to, I try, I, I try and take, the positives out of all these negatives too. I don't want to sit here and be negative and, you know, throw a pity party for me and everyone feels sorry for me. I don't want that at all. I feel like I have come a long way and my friends are my family now and my partner as well, who I felt in the beginning of our relationship, I felt so bad because I was constantly crying, constantly breaking down. I put him in this box as well. Like, no, you're going to hurt me. You'll hurt me. And that's not fair on him either. And, maybe Brooke understands this too, being in a relationship with her husband, he's nothing but green flags. And this is what I missed <laughs> my whole life. And I've had to unlearn things. There was one thing that stands out to me in, may, in maybe the first six to eight months of us two being together, he, we, were, we were shopping and he had his arms full of, of stuff instead of grabbing a basket. And one thing was, I can't remember what it was, but one thing went to fall out of his arm. And as it fell, he sort of like, his jerk reaction was to like throw his elbow up to sort of catch it. And I flinched. I, I just like, knee jerk reaction, I just flinched. And he broke. He was like, I can't believe that you did that. I'm never going to do that to you. And um, that was a moment. And I, I felt bad for him having... You, that was my reaction to him just dropping something and, and I, you know, I flinched. And um, he put down on the shopping and we hugged in the middle of the reject shop. But, yeah, this whole... Romance, hey? <laughs> the middle of the reject shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the reject shop, yeah, hugging the reject shop. Um, but, yeah, like these moments, like even just he fills my car up with petrol. There is no... My ex wouldn't let me drive. I didn't have my licence. He kept me at home, impregnating me. I had 13 abortions. And when we went to court for the sexual assault, I didn't know that that was reproductive coercion. He wanted me to just keep pumping out babies, pumping out babies. Yeah. Um, that 
isolation as well. So even though I've learned all this stuff, I've also had to unlearn it. And it has brought lots of supportive people to my circle too, like Luke, Luke has said as well. Um, and you've got to learn that these people are, are good people and you can trust them as well. So it's, oh, levels. There's so many different levels. So I agree. We're going to wrap it up here. I just want to. Oh, um, I took the show. So. No, 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 no. This is exactly what, this is, the, this is the point. We wanted to have this conversation and it's not within, when it's not within our wheelhouse, we need to go to someone who is willing to stand up and speak. And I thank you so much for being so honest and so forthcoming with everything you've shared with us. What is the last message that you want to leave with our viewers today? from your experience that you can give to them that, you know, will get them through if or they're me. in this. Oh, yeah. I feel like Luke, Luke and Brooke should talk. Um, no, no, they will. They'll talk. <laughs> for me, a lot of healing has come from self-care. So I put myself last because I felt like I didn't deserve to be put first. Um, so my, my partner happens to be my personal trainer and that's how we met. And I'm at, like, I'm only little. I'm only like 49 kilos. Um, so I'm like, exercise? I don't need to exercise. I'm, I look fit. <laughs> I'm fine. Um, but then that's how I met him. So these opportunities that I took have led to op other opportunities. Um, so self-care and learning that self-care is okay. It's okay to be selfish and look after yourself. It's okay to, when I worked in DV, the ladies there would say, um, because it's very emotionally fueling, triggering, mentally draining, you're entitled to a doona day. So, you know, if today right now, I might get a headache tomorrow from all these emotions and I'm allowed to just sit in front of the TV, eat chocolate if I want to and not give a shit about housework because I'm it's self-care. I'm taking care of myself inside and out. So for me, put, not putting myself where I'm neglecting my children but, you know, Drinking your water, exercising, getting a pet, getting my dog has been one of the best things ever. Like little Chihuahua again, she has been such a great therapy for my daughters as well. Um, and yeah, like doing things that you want to do. Like I went and got my license. I went and got personalized number plates. I went and did everything he told me I wasn't allowed to do. Uh, even, uh, I don't know if I can even say this, even wearing G-strings. Like, he wouldn't let me do that because other men would look at me. Like, I'm like, you know what? I'm going into bras and things. I'm spoiling myself, you know? Um, so self-care, big on the self-care when you do, or even when you're going through DV, go and paint your nails, you know? Do, do something for you. I think you get more sanity back as well. But, yeah, um, as for them, mm, I don't. I don't know how they think. I don't want to know how they think. We or don't. How they yeah. Operate. At the it's, moment, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care. Yeah, we just, don't care about. It's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Look inwards. Do it. your meditation. Listening to music. Doing things that make you happy. Yeah, definitely. So, Brooke, you, oh. you, how did you cope in childhood and and you know become the mother, the great mother that you are today? What What was your coping mechanism? What's the message you want to leave? Um, do you know what? I actually, I'm going to go back to something that Sandy did say and people just need to realize that domestic violence is actually everybody's business. If you yeah. see somebody 
just be the person there that they can talk to. Like, because I dealt with a lot of stuff myself personally. I didn't have a lot of people. I've always been a little bit of a loner, the weird one, the odd one out. So I dealt with a lot of my own issues, like a lot later in life. Um, You know, I saw a counsellor when my mum got sick and I, you know, I dealt with a lot of my issues then. Um, But genuinely, if you see someone who's struggling, even if they seem off on that day, just, yeah, be be kind because you genuinely don't know what people are going through. And that's what I try to always do. Beautiful. And Luke, what about you? What What's the message that you can take from today to give to people and help them process what's happening in this world? Look, I think the girls both took the words out of my mouth. Um, Brooke just said a lot of, of what I would advise. Yes, just that kindness and to be to be gentle with people and to to be supportive and not to be judgmental and even, you know, don't put other people through hard times either because you don't know what's going on in their life. And you see this in the workplace all the time, all these silly frictions and that and, and people will pick on each other and it's just so unnecessary because you know what? You're going to further isolate people when we should really be all supportive of one another so that these kind of predators in, in our lives aren't as powerful as they are because their power is in the isolation and that's how they can do this damage. Yeah, so, guys, thank you so much to all of you and especially to Sandy as well for coming and being with us here today. As, as, as Sandy said, I think that the way we move forward is to not be quiet about it and to be supportive and make sure that we are looking out for each other and, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and save everyone that you see just as long as you're there and you are, you, you can be, you know, a help to them in some way when they need it and if they need it. We need to keep saying these women's names. We need to keep calling it out when we see it because if we don't, that's when this stuff is deemed acceptable and okay. So thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. Um we hope that this has been enlightening, if not helpful. At the end of the show, we will post some, some um, you know, contacts that are available and resources that are available to you. So please take care of yourselves, take care of your loved ones. Thank you, everyone on the panel for today. And we will see you all again very, very soon on Uncensored Radio. Bye. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.